Hello and welcome to our podcast named Detours. This podcast embraces the unexpected twists and turns that shapes the journeys of our lives that God sends us down. I'm your host and fellow traveler, Mike. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Deb, and we invite you to join us on this exploration of uncharted territories we encounter along the way. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode. Welcome to our second episode of Detours. I am your host. My name is Mike, and I'm here with my beautiful wife, Deborah. Hi, Mike. Good to see you, my love. Good to see you as always. Are you ready for this next step in your story and in your process? This we, we left on somewhat of a cliffhanger on purpose. <laughs> yes, we did. But to, to recap last week, uh, we kind of walked through you. Uh, you had a child outside of wedlock. Uh, pre long pre Jesus, mm-hmm. um, then you got married a first time, and now we are on marriage number two. All of this uh, is basically kind of pre Jesus because this is the story of you walking into church for the first time. Yes, with the ex wife of the man that you're married to at that moment. Correct. And he is having a freak out moment. Understandably, ju- totally justified. Yeah. Uh, having a freak out moment and let's kind of back up just a little bit what you you called her something happened and she invited you to church recap that for us again okay so um, I had Anthony the weekend and she called to ask about his book report and I had already felt like it was pressing on me that I needed to go to church and she was the only one I knew that went to church and so I said huh do you have child care at that church And that was really all that needed to happen. Oh, my goodness, absolutely. I'm taking you to church. And she wouldn't really take no for an answer. And I was kind of like a deer in a headlights. And so I said, yes, okay, we'll go to church. Okay, so you decide you're going to go to church. Mm -hmm. And this church is a, a, by today's standards, a mega church at Calvary Chapel in South Florida. And you have Anthony in tow. Yes. Well, the very first time I go, I decide, you know what, maybe I don't take the kids. Maybe this is a cult. I I used to call it the cult compound. Uh, I used to call them, you know, Jesus thumpers and Bible thumpers. And I was very, very nervous. So I figured, let me just go me and um, Terry was her name. I I guess we're not naming names, but... um, and so I, I went, and I think I was very disarmed by the kindness of people that were greeting at the church. Like, I had this impression that if I walked into church, you know, I'd go up in flames. And I, I had really had a preconceived notion that um, Christians were going to be judgmental, and they were going to be holier than thou, and a little snooty. And I walk into church, and I get this very genuine, warm greeting from people um, that I I could tell was not fake. It was like, oh, we're really happy to see you. And I guess it kind of made me drop my guard a little, and I was a little nervous about that. I'm like, why is everyone so nice, you know? So she very strategically put me um, at the very front of the church in the middle. So you can't get out? No. 
There's no I, escape. No. Okay. And I don't think of this when we're sitting down. I don't. I'm not looking for an exit plan immediately, but um, she knew exactly what she was doing. She knew exactly what she was doing, and so the music starts to play, and um, I think to myself, I have this inner dialogue like, Ugh, I bet everybody's going to be raising their hands, and I felt in my spirit. Didn't you just go to an Aerosmith concert? And weren't you raising your hands just a few weeks ago? And I was like, okay. So I had my arms crossed over my chest in protection. And people started to raise their hands. And I'm trying not to have a smart aleck look on my face. And I'm looking around. And everyone really does look genuinely um, immersed in their worship. At least from what I can tell. And the music plays a song, and I think, wow, this isn't so bad. This isn't what I thought church music would be. And then the song proceeded somewhat of a, I'm a sinner, and God chased me down and loved me. And I just was so moved by the music. I was very moved by the words. And I thought, oh, my goodness, don't you dare cry. Don't you dare shed a tear, Deborah. Don't you do it. And... More or less, within seconds, I have a warm tear running down my face, and I am mortified. My arms are crossed, I'm, my neck is hot, my face is red, and as soon as I, that cheek gets hot with tears, I am looking for an exit plan. I am looking across the room, where's the nearest exit? i got to get out of here. I cannot be here. Yeah, and so... Calvary Sanctuary seats, I believe it's 3,500 people. <laughs> so that, that would have been a long, long exit for you. Yes, it would have been very embarrassing. So now your story is what everyone hopes a first visit to church would be. You mentioned that it was very organic, very welcoming when you got there. It was. Um there are people out there where that's not always the case. Unfortunately. You know, and, and one of the things that you always have to remember is the person you're sitting next to in church, it doesn't mean they're a Christian. They can be a guest there just the same as you are, yeah. uh, is one thing I think people often don't think about. But the second thing is, you know, sanctification is a process, mm-hmm. and someone can get saved and still be cranky. The sanctification process hasn't happened. That's true. Or they're 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 just earlier in their walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so you may be greeted by someone uh that that you know comes off as a little bit of a Grinch. Um and, and there are even times where good solid Christians just have a bad day. That's you can catch true. anyone on a bad day stressed. You don't know what's going on. Do you think if anything like that would have happened to you? I mean, you're sitting in a seat with your arms crossed anyway. So you're, you know, you're putting on the front of, I don't want to be here and I'm not ready to listen to this. But do you think, do you think you would have been able to, you know, look past anything negative, uh, like someone having a bad day? Uh, You think that was just your moment where where Jesus was ready to talk to you? He was calling you by name. I think that. I would have inevitably gone back because I do feel like Jesus was calling me. Um, I think if someone would have greeted me in a way that I had expected, I would have been like, yep, just what I thought. But I was already there, so I was going to be there whether we went in one car, again, very strategic. Um, And I remember 
the message being very, I can't tell you what it was 15 years later, but I remember it being very interesting and very relevant. And I thought to myself, wow, this isn't some archaic message. Like this is really applicable to life. Like I was very intrigued and, um, I thought, wow, I didn't know church could be this way. Um, I grew up in, in a different faith. I grew up as a Catholic, and I felt like it was very robotic for me. And I felt like I was listening to the exact same scheduled sermon, and I don't know that I paid much attention to what was saying, but it did not feel, for me, like a place where I really was in touch with God. So that's why when I did, after all these years, decide, okay, God, you're calling me, I didn't go to a Catholic church. I went to something I totally had no experience with. And the message was, like I said, relevant. And when it was over, there was an altar call. And she turned to me and she goes, do you want me to go up with you? And that just irked me so bad. I was like, no. What, is that weakness? How are you interpreting that? I didn't know why it pissed me off. And excuse the phrase, but it did. It made me, I didn't want to hear it from her. Of mm. all people. And so I said, no. And uh, you want to talk about the mercy of God. Like, I could have died in a car accident that night and been in hell. Because I was a very lost person. But I just didn't, I just couldn't see myself doing it because she said, do you want to go up? So I left. So, hold on. Before you go any further, salvation isn't the act of walking forward. No, no. It is a matter of the heart. Absolutely. Do you think in that moment you were saved? No. You Just maybe a pride or something? Oh, I was definitely not saved. I was intrigued and I was drawn in by this Jesus that I didn't know as a child. And I hadn't seen displayed to me. Um, I shouldn't say I haven't seen displayed to me. Prior to going to church, I actually was a boss of this lady who was just totally authentic and was a Christian. And she just, everything about her was different than me. And I was very intrigued by her because I had never met a Christian like her. And I thought, wow, I'd love to have what she has. And I think her example to me made me more apt to go, okay, maybe I'll I'll figure out this church thing when, when I had that call from God in the garage. So I don't think I was saved. I do think that I was intrigued and curious enough that I had to go back. And so I think the day I got saved, I actually did walk forward. Now, I know that's not the act that saves you, but it was that act of complete and utter surrender. That's where I was. And that first trip to the church, I was not in a surrendered place at all. So you mentioned this this lady that was your boss. No, I was her boss and she was... Oh, you were her boss. Yes. What What is the time frame between your relationship with her, right? Everybody always says you have the four gospels and you're the fifth, right? Mm-hmm, and you're, yeah. the, you're the one gospel that people are going to read the most. Sure. And that was what was happening in your life you met another Christian that was really living out their walk with Christ. Immensely. Started to change, you know, soften and break down some walls, right? God sent that person into your life. Yes. How far prior to you being at Calvary were you noticing her? Was this years? Was this months? This was probably, we only really worked together for two years. And I would say within the first six months, I'm like, wow, this girl is unique. 
And I one thing I really remember about her that I really enjoyed was um, she allowed me to show up just the way I was. And I said some very foolish things because, again, I'm, I'm not a Christian. And she listened. And she did not judge. She would always say, you know, Deb, I'm a Christian, so I can only give you my worldview because that's the worldview I live by. No one has ever said that to me before. And then she proceeded to give me a biblical answer to my stresses. And I thought, well, she didn't tell me I had to do it. She didn't tell me I was wrong for looking at it this way. She just simply said, this is how I do life and this is why, because I have Jesus. And because she had such a unique walk, she was genuine, she was authentic, she was a hard worker. She loved on everybody and there was no discrimination. Like she was genuinely like light. And so she would always kind of frame things with, well, you know, I'm a Christian and this is how I do it. And that was very um, intriguing. And I really thought it was a whimsical way to kind of evangelize someone. I didn't know I was being evangelized, but she really was. And you were, correct me if I'm wrong, you were in, in search. You, you mentioned that you, oh, yes. you were trying out different religions oh, yeah. and, and I talked and to her about all chanting of and, and so <laughs> many things. And so what what all did you try? Obviously, you've already mentioned Catholicism. Yes. Uh, what else did you try? Um, I had studied the Hindu scriptures. I had, um, you know, read the Bhavad Gita's. I had um, I had dabbled in a little bit of the occult. I had known some witches. I had. Um, really tried the whole self-enlightenment thing. If I can just attain enlightenment, I'll be the person I'm supposed to be. You know, and I, I tried to be the best version of myself. You know, like the behavior modification that most people think you need to have to be a Christian. I tried, you know, trying to be loving and kind, and I couldn't do any of those in my own strength. And I failed miserably at it. There were seasons where I was kind of nice to people and... But ultimately, I, I failed miserably at that. It, it's what's happening in society today. You see so much of self-help mm-hmm. that is very misleading. And, and that's part of the point of this season of our podcast is after we get done with your testimony, we're going to start getting into how did you identify what parts of you needed to be healed who did you go to to get help? What yeah. were those steps and those processes so that you and I meet seven years after your second divorce? Yep. And here we are a little more than three years in. And we have a very happy, healthy relationship because... Praise God. Yeah, absolutely. To God be the glory because both of us had work that we had to do. Um, so you you go around and you're trying all these different religions, witchcraft, everything else. Yeah. Everything's coming up empty. Very empty. So you go and you refuse to go forward for the altar call. Yes, I did. So what happens? Do you come back the next week? Yeah. And for a week, God pretty much pressed on my heart. Like I, you know, when you see like a car at wreck, you, you almost in inadvertently can't help but turn your head and look back. It's just, it's this instinct in you that goes, turn around, look, look. And I kept feeling like I had to turn around and look at the church again and had to like, I could not, I would have been utterly stuck if I didn't go back. I knew it. And so I decided 
there was no purple Kool-Aid. And if I'm dating myself, <laughs> um, I probably am dating myself, but anyone that's in their 40s knows of the, you know, the Jones uh, cult that took the Kool-Aid and had suicide, uh, a large suicide attempt. So I said, well, there's no purple Kool-Aid and everyone seems pretty nice. Maybe I'll take my, my kids this time. And so I had the younger one who was my stepson and I had the older one, both of them named Anthony. And, um, my son, Anthony was 15 at the time, no 13 at the time. And just a very intelligent young man, just way beyond his years, not the average 13 year old. And maybe because he kind of just grew up around adults. But I said to him, do you want to come into the sanctuary with me or do you want to go to the youth group? And he goes, no, I'll, I'll come in with you. And I think he was a little apprehensive too. Sure, he's tiptoeing into the water a little bit himself. Yeah. And so I really think that this is the most remarkable part of the story is my son. Um, so we go back into the sanctuary and again, she puts us in the middle cause she did come the second time and, um, I know her, I know her tricks now, <laughs> but I, I know I need to be there. So I sat where she set us and, uh, there was a pastor that talked about his pre Jesus life. And I'm so grateful for his testimony because his testimony was dark and dirty. And I felt like, wow. And I'll rephrase that in a second, but I felt like he had lived a life that I didn't expect a pastor to live pre-Jesus, of course. And I felt like, oh, well, gosh, if God can accept him, then God can accept me. So his testimony wasn't dark and dirty. His testimony had things that I had participated in. And, you know, he he ran Capitol Records in Vegas. He ran a review, uh, you know, a, he was in the fast lane. He did drugs. He, you know, fast cars, fast women. And I think if I would have heard from a very clean kind of, I grew up my whole life as a Christian type of testimony, I would have felt very out of place. So God put me there that day to hear that testimony. And I thought to myself, wow, if God could save this guy, Maybe I'm, maybe there's hope for me. And then he said something very telling. He said, I felt like God was calling me. And that was the same thing God said to me in the garage. I've been calling you your whole life. And I thought, wow, I'm sitting in a church that, you know, you know, is like, even though it only fits 3,500 at one time, there's 20,000 people that go to this church. I thought if God could do that with this man, he could do anything with me. So that was the very first, like really softening of my heart, like hearing that testimony. And my son was at the edge of his seat. He was listening to every word. And then there was the altar call. And basically the, the invitation was like, come as you are. God's not going to keep you this way. Just come. Just come as you are. And man, he turned to me and he goes, do you want to go forward? Do you want to go up? And he was like, he was on fire, man. And I go, Anthony, I don't want you to go up because you think I want you to go up. Like, if you want to go up, you really should go up. Well, I didn't expect him to. He leapt out of his seat. He leapt out of his seat and he booked it down, down the aisle. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. It was the reality check. Like, I have been searching my whole life and coming up empty. And this kid gets it. Like, I think... His, his faith really propelled me out of my seat because before I knew it, I was running after him 
And um, that's when the surrender came. So I know that, you know, not everybody has this kind of altar call moment, but that moment was just like, I give you everything, Lord. It's amazing when kids have an attribute like courage and they don't even realize they're acting in courage. Yes. So many times that's when people get saved. When my brother passed, he passed when he was only nine months old and he had to have uh, surgeries to attempt to fix his heart. And you had a little, little tiny baby going into open heart procedure and, and that little baby can't even speak a word, but yet he's sitting there showing so much courage that, you know, when people get saved, it's typically while people are watching a Christian, it's typically when they're in a peak or in a valley Hmm. because they want to see what's happening. Um, When my brother died, that's obviously a very deep valley and the people that watched our family uh, when that happened. And also when things go really, really well, do you change as a person? Right. Uh, you know, that those are the moments where people are watching you. That That's when they're opening the fifth gospel and they're really reading it closely. That's such a good point. But, uh, okay, so Anthony shows a ton of courage and just jumps up. Yeah. And and that puts you in a tricky situation because, what, is, is, is the ex-wife sitting there judging you going, hey, do you want me to go up with you? Your son is up there. You're 13-year-old. No. What, what, what's happening? As a matter of fact, I didn't even know she was there. It was like she disappeared. All I can see, I had tunnel vision. I knew that I had spent 33 years searching and 33 years of coming up empty. And I wasn't someone who just kind of searched. I really searched and everything fell short. And yet just this amazing act of like, yeah, I want what you have, God. And God gave me this son. Like, you know what I mean? Maybe just for this moment as, you know, of course, for many moments, but for this moment in particular, like his faith propelled me in a way I could not explain. And the ex-wife wasn't in the room. There was nobody else but me, him and God in that room that day. And so I went forward and I repented. And that was the thing, like, I, I turned from this. Like, I knew without a shadow of a doubt there was, I had nothing to give God, nothing, nothing. As a matter of fact, I couldn't believe he would even take me. And yet he wanted me. And that was inconceivable that he wanted me. And I didn't know what it meant to be saved. I didn't understand what it meant to give up things. All I knew was I could give up anything for this God because he loved me just the way I was. Like, ew, I don't even love me, but you do, God. And that, it was the love of God that propelled me, honestly. Um, not the judgment of God, not the, and, and yes, the fear of God is a beautiful thing. And people do get saved from the fear of God, fearing to go to hell. And that's a beautiful conversion too. But for me, it was the love of God that propelled me, like in no way, shape, or form, because I was searching for love everywhere and was not getting it. So you give your life to Christ. Yes. Typically at Calvary Chapel, what they do is they give an invitation, then they invite you off uh, to a room to just introduce themselves to Mm -hmm. you, give you a Bible, pray with you, and then they send you back to your seat. So you and your son are now heading home. Yes. What's going through your mind? What just happened? What do I say to my husband? 
is no, my kid, think. yeah, is my kid going to, you know, is he going to change? Am I going to change? Do I have to listen to different music now? These are great questions, but no, I was not thinking any of those things. I had just such this, like, bliss. I was so excited. I felt like I had won the lottery. I was so excited. I did not know I would not be met with excitement from the... <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the world doesn't celebrate necessarily? No, no one, actually. But I didn't... I wasn't overly, like, what's going to happen next... I just really had this basking in the moment of true forgiveness. Now, the weeks that followed was, oh, like, this is different. And I think because I had such a great example in my friend who was the authentic, loving Christian, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just talk to her if I have any questions. And she, she did. She ministered to me um, very much in my new walk. And I immediately got plugged in. Uh, at the church because I knew no Christians whatsoever except for my employee. And so I knew I needed a network of people. So that's what I did. And that's that's the most crucial thing in my eyes, at least near the top, that when you get saved, doesn't matter if you join what's called a small group, doesn't matter if you go start serving in kids ministry, go take a class somewhere. You have to meet someone to do life with that you yeah. can ask questions to, right? You're going to, it's natural to ask questions like, can I listen to the same music, right? That That's totally natural and normal. Mm -hmm. And if you isolate yourself and you don't take some step, True. Uh, you know, those questions can sit in the back of your mind, and you can sit there and listen to Jonah and his story and the whale and this, that, and the other. And if people don't address those questions, and it can be questions all the way from what do Christians believe about evolution all the way to, hey, I don't understand when the Bible says X, Y, and Z. It, it can be the, the gambit of questions, yeah. but it needs to be seek and you will find whatever your question is, you got to find somebody at church that you can talk to. Talk to a greeter if you don't have anyone and ask a greeter, hey, I need to get plugged into my church. Where 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 is a great starting point? Mm -hmm. There's so many different places. There's support groups everywhere. Yeah. Um, that, that that's really a critical part. So it, it was amazing that you had this young lady. Yes, God so, gave her to me for sure. Yeah, so fast forwarding a little bit, you've given your life to Christ. Your ex-husband at the time, your husband had not, and it starts to create friction in your marriage. Oh, what, for sure. What happens? Well, initially he's very intrigued by the new Deborah because... I had a very radical transformation. I was not the same, and it was obvious. And initially, he thought that was pretty awesome. You know, I was nicer. Uh, I took care of the home better. I took care of him better. I just, I was more patient with our children. I was just genuinely, um, I, was a, I was just so, I was awestruck by Jesus. And I think, in everything that I did, it reflected. And then, um, you know, unfortunately, I got to the point where 
I didn't need somebody to pull me out of the bar. I, I didn't even want to be there. So I, that was kind of the battle too, is like, here it is. The bar had become his church. Honestly, like that's where he went to worship. There's no doubt in my mind. Was, was it part of yours? When I th- not not at this point, but just no, at any point in I, time. When I think back, yeah, probably I I that was the place where I felt like I somewhat belonged, and that was a place where I I never felt like I truly belonged. But out of every place that I had been to, the bar felt very accepting, and so um, I actually heard someone say something the other day that really kind of rocked my world. And I I want people to listen to the statement all the way through before you make any rash judgments. But the statement was, the church should be a little bit more like the bar. Because at the bar, you could be yourself. And if you go to church and you can't be yourself, people will find a place where they can really just be themselves. Now, being themselves doesn't necessarily mean that you behave in ways that are unbiblical, but that you can literally show up just the way you are and people honestly take an interest in who you are and want to get to know who you are. And um, that feeling of community that people who go to a bar are looking for, we should be getting that at the church. And sometimes we're not, unfortunately. Sometimes we are. Sometimes churches do a really good job of that. But, um, you know, anyway. So yeah, that was his church. And I didn't want to go anymore. I did not want to play. And um, I had said to him, even prior to getting saved, hey, I don't want to be here. I don't feel like these people are our friends. And so now it became like, hey, I really don't want to go. Can you, you know, can we do something else? And it was creating a divide because he just did not want to do anything other than the bar. And so there were times that I would go because I didn't want him to go by himself and I didn't want to be by myself. So I'd go and I would not drink and people would be like, why are you not drinking? And then I would tell people about Jesus and he would be embarrassed. Like, Mm. what are you doing? Like, stop it already. But I didn't know what else to do. So eventually um, the differences became a great divide, a really big divide. How long did that take? probably about six months. It was like, and I, I asked him, I asked him to come to my baptism and he said, no. And I was so hurt. I was so hurt because I was so excited. And all I wanted to do was share my experience with Jesus. I didn't ask him to do anything different. I just wanted to be able to come home and talk about this God that I love. And he said no, and I was like, okay. And I went and got baptized, and it was a glorious day, me and my son. And um, I remember one big major fight, probably about eight months in, and he's like, where is my Deb? Where is she? Where? He was mad. Like, he was mad. Where is she? Because I had been, I was that much different. And I said, you know what? She died in a watery grave, and you missed the funeral. And I, oh my goodness, he looked devastated. Like, oh my God, this is not the same woman I married. And did he give you a reason why he didn't want to come to the baptism? No. He just flat out said no. I'm not coming to that. And I didn't want to push it either because I, I felt like we already had so many differences. I didn't want to be that person that, I didn't want to be the pushy Christian And I didn't want to guilt trip him either. Like, I wanted him to want to come, and I'm not going to guilt you to do it. 
So you don't want to come, you don't come. But he did not give me a reason. He did not give me a reason. I found it curious, you know, even when you love somebody, if even if you don't believe what they believe, you kind of just, sometimes you do things just because it brings joy to the other partner. And you're like, wow, I want to see you happy. And But there was none of that. And so I actually was pretty disobedient with God because I kept saying, I don't want to do this, God. I don't want to be married to this man who doesn't love you, who doesn't even like you half the time. And he would say some pretty snide comments about God that I would be offended for God and I'd have to kind of hold my tongue and go, okay, Lord, it's between you and him. And at some point I decided I was going to, I was going to leave and I was not going to have a biblical divorce. And that act of disobedience, God met me there and he corrected me there. Um, I remember, uh, the ex had gone on vacation without me and I decided I was going to pack up all my stuff and get an apartment. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to suffer like this. <laughs> and, um, lo and behold, I decide, well, I'll just, I'll just go into my Bible and pray. <laughs> and I get a verse in Proverbs Every wise woman builds her home, and every foolish one tears it down with her own hands. And that was the first time I was ever, like, smacked by the Bible. I was like, whoa, like, that was absolutely, like, that's how God speaks to you is through his word. And I felt so convicted. And then maybe 20 minutes later, I get a phone call from my son's father, who is not even a nice person half the time. And he's like, what's wrong with you? You don't sound like yourself. What's happening? And like, he was so compassionate and I was so distraught that I told him I was going to leave. And he's like, you can't leave. You can't leave him. You have a nice life with this man. Like he's minister. This unbeliever is ministering to me to not leave this marriage. And so to make a very long story short, I wound up not leaving and stayed another year and a half submitting to a man who did not submit to God and showing respect, even though I didn't respect some of the behaviors that were happening, um, I was very respectful to him. And eventually he said, you know, I can't do this. You're in love with another man. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you're in love with Jesus. I thought, yes, I am. And I heard God say, don't say a word. And that's pretty hard for me. You know me. That's pretty hard. So I didn't say a word, and I let him talk. And basically, he told me he was going to leave. And I said, that's not what God wants from us. But if you feel you have to do that, I, I have to let you go. And he did. And so that's the gist of how that ended. So about two years mm -hmm. after getting saved, yeah, Mike leaves. Yes. So everything's changing. Yes, rapidly rapidly you are now entering into singleness mm -hmm. as a christian mm -hmm. <laughs> having being a single mom yes of a teenager which is not easy <laughs> of a teenager which is not easy who to... did not at some point in the two years kind of was like yeah i don't want to do this so he was in a you know he, he had kind of walked away a little bit. A, From his faith? Yes. Okay. So he's no longer walking with the Lord at this point. You're getting your second divorce. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's a lot going on. Yeah, it That's was. That's one of those things. How do you... 
How do you climb a mountain one step at a time? Hmm. So step number one is finding a new place. What What is step number one? Step one was like, wow, Lord, is this really happening? <laughs> and uh, it was. And step one was, yeah, getting getting the stuff packed up. I remember the day I packed up and left. Or actually, no, I'm sorry. He left first. He left because um, he wasn't going to, I don't want to stay married. We have another, um, why don't you stay out till the lease is over, which was actually, ironically, it was like up within that last month. He's like, I'll leave. You, you stay here, get stuff packed up. And so. And he was leaving with another woman, right? Well, he didn't claim that's where he was going, but yes, come to find out later, um, yeah. I had some suspicions when I was not going to the bar that there was someone there. And, you know, I, I learned maybe a year and a half later that that was absolutely what had happened. So he was already out the door, really, in, in, in his heart. He was out the door, regardless if I found Jesus or not. I think finding Jesus was made him very uncomfortable because it really, when, the, when darkness sees light, I don't have to say anything about your darkness. I, and would I ever, because I walk that darkness. Like, I'm not here to judge you. I, I'm just telling you what Jesus has done to me, and that made him so uncomfortable. Like, he felt convicted in his soul. He had to have. So anyway, yes, there was another woman, and... Um, he was he was leaving, and then I found a place, just me and my son. So you mentioned earlier that God gave you that verse in Proverbs mm -hmm. telling you just wait. At any point in time, does God give you an encouraging verse? You're, you're out hitting the world as a single yes. woman with a child, Going from two incomes to one income. Yes. He gave me the verse that he is my husband. I am your, I am your, the Lord is your husband. I am your maker. And I didn't quite understand, you know, the relationship between Christ and the church as being a, a picture of marriage because I'm still pretty new in my faith. But there were, there were lots of encouragements to keep trusting and I thought, wow, you're my husband. Okay. Um, well, a husband provides, a husband protects, a husband loves, a husband encourages. And um, in that time, he really did do all of those things. Can you give an example of how he provided? Were there any instances where something just surprised you, came out of nowhere Yes, yes. Um, in the midst of all of the divorce, I was losing a job. So I was <laughs> unemployed right after the divorce. I mean, smack after he had left. And I can't say the divorce because it took a while for the paperwork to process. But as he had left, and now I have to hold the note on this, you know, apartment for another month and, and then move to a new place, I lose my job. So this is a valley. This isn't just this is one a, thing going no, this on. Is this a is lot. multiple. Yes. So your son is walking away from the faith. Your husband's walking away from you. Yes. Your, Jesus is really who he's walking away from. Fair enough. And you're losing your job. Yes. This is absolutely one wave after another. Yes. You feel like you're drowning. I do. And Jesus sends you 
a life raft. Yes. So what know, is this? I got to say one thing. I was really grateful to go to a church that didn't promise everything was going to be okay as soon as I became a Christian. And I can say that Calvary Chapel does a really good job of teaching biblically. And there's nowhere biblically that says you give your life to Christ and everything's going to be roses. It's not. A lot of times it's not. I mean, it can, but that's not the case most of the time. And so I kind of didn't feel slighted, like, oh, I I gave my life to you, and this is how... I never felt that because I was properly taught in the Word. Um, And I think what he did during that time was um, I lose this job, and now I have, like, all this free time. And I was like, I can wallow in self-pity and be really scared and frightened, or I can serve you. And so I choose to serve you. And at that time... um, you know, as I'm collecting unemployment and I'm looking for jobs, um, I decide to go volunteer at Four Kids of South Florida. And um, Four Kids is what? Explain that for the audience. Four Kids is a foster care program um, that the church has heavily invested in to bring kids to biblical homes. And um, an offshoot of that was uh, another place called Ema, which was an incredible uh, ministry towards single moms. And um, and then there was his caring place. And that was another great place where um, these moms had a place and a home where they could um, get on their feet and they could be discipled and um, get jobs and like be able to kind of start their life with their babies. And so I just kind of threw myself into service to God and uh, tried not to focus on the fact that everything around me was falling apart. And I stood very firm on uh, all I can do is serve you because I know you're good. I know that you pulled me out of the depths of depravity and you're good. And I don't get what's happening and I don't like what's happening because I didn't like what was happening. But I also knew that he would provide and he did. And that was the example you're asking for. Um, I got a job interview And I had a very strange interview where I am meeting with six people and I wind up like ministering in this interview about God. And I get, who would have thought I would have got this job, but I got a really, really good paying job. Um, And that was a financial protection and provision for what I had, you know, ahead of me. So you said something that is drastically different than my salvation story. You said in the midst of this valley, again, you had been saved about two years Mm -hmm. at this point. You said that you knew God was good. Yeah. That to me is an extremely mature answer because I got saved and for the next seven years or so, I really felt like God's punching bag. Mm. He took my job. He took my girl. He took my dog. He took everything. So the only thing I had left, I'm a musician. He left me with my church, my Bible, him, and a drum. And that's all that was left for me. And fast forward a handful of years, 
you introduced me to a guy that's now become a very dear friend, our mentor, yes. uh, Pastor Bill, and, and to, to, to kind of jump around timeline-wise, I, I end up asking Bill if he'll be my mentor, and he says, sure, absolutely. What do you want to get out of our time? And again, I'm like seven years into being saved at this point, and I said, Bill, I, I really kind of want to be an empty cup and I want to be filled with whatever it is I need to be filled with. So I don't care if we're reading books or talking through scripture, whatever it is you tell me to do. But I'll tell you this, I'm seven years into my salvation and I don't believe God is good. And how much good can I do for the kingdom if I don't believe God is good? You know that how is, honest that is though? You know how many people won't say that out loud? And won't have somebody help walk them through that very real feeling. Yeah, I, I, I felt that. like Because again, I, I he had taken everything from it. Like, to your point, Calvary Chapel does not teach the prosperity gospel. They will tell you that anything and everything can happen. It, it, you, you have seasons. You have seasons of blessing. You have seasons... Of suffering. Of, absolutely. There's every season under the sun. And a lot of times at it, it, it Calvary, in, in our location in South Florida, 70% of the people that give their life to Christ are addicted to some drug or alcohol. Hmm. So, so many times it's happening in the valley. For me, it happened on the way down. Uh, the first thing happened, I lost the girl. The girl that I was dating, I, I lost her, and that really shook me. She was supposed to be the one that I was going to get married to in my head. That that was the story yeah. uh, I, had, I had come up with. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, she leaves. And that really shook me. And called my dad up, and I said, Dad, what, what do I do? And he, he, both my parents, Christians, I was born and raised in a church, but it always felt like I was reading somebody else's mail when I would open the Bible. It was just, it was addressed to the guy that lived next door, but never to me. And so I call up my dad and I say, dad, what do I do? He says, go, go to church. You need to get back into church. And as soon as I walked through the doors, I, I knew I was home. Oh, amen. To make a long story short, but the punches kept coming. Mm -hmm. Shortly after that, I lost my job. Shortly after that, lost my dog. Like I mentioned, literally every aspect of my life was removed Maybe similar to what you were going through, where you just went and served, mm -hmm. and I wasn't—I I wasn't at the serving level yet. My 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 path was a little bit different, but I definitely—I um, was—I felt like God was beating me up a little bit for the first seven years. I, I didn't have a heavenly perspective. That that mm -hmm. all changed. And well, that's a story for another day. But yeah. for you to have that answer that in the midst of all of this, that you knew God was good, that's impressive because I wouldn't have had that answer. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's some listeners out there that, that felt the same way that I did Yeah, that would say, how do you know God's good? Because I, I don't get it. It doesn't add up. Uh, and we're, we're going to get to all those kinds of questions uh, throughout this podcast, but I thought it was really interesting that already you were trusting God and you were saying, I know you're good when you were only two years in and I was seven years in and I was sitting there going, I, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't see how God is good. Everybody around me saying that in right. church 
and everybody's got a smile on their face, and it seems like they believe it, but it, it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't add up. I don't feel that yet. I I felt, I guess that's the wrong way to say it. I, I, I think I felt like God was good. I just felt like, why don't I understand? Okay. He's he I know he sees more than I do. He's got a bigger picture than I do. But why is it so much drastically larger than mine? Where from his perspective, it's good. And from my perspective, I feel like a punching bag. And I'm tired of getting punched. And and so it's it's pretty incredible that you're sitting there saying, you know, you get this, going to this interview and doing this job. And you know God is good. I think because I had so much darkness before Jesus and... The way I looked at the world was very askew. Um, and, you know, I came from, I had some trauma in my past. So the fact that God loved me felt like that was all, it's all I ever wanted in life was to, to be loved for not who I was supposed to be or who I could be, even though God wants me to be all those things down the road as he sanctifies me. But like right where I am, and I felt filthy, and yet he called me. He died for me, and that just, I, that wrapped around my soul in a way that nothing quite could. And I think that interaction in the garage, after I had had an alcohol-induced blackout, you talked to me? Like, Really? I just spent an evening doing things that were deplorable, and now you're talking to me? I think that was really the the love story starts in the darkness, and I just was so amazed by him that I think that's why I knew he was good. And I hadn't felt loved before. I'm not saying that I wasn't loved. I had parents and siblings, and I'm not saying that, but I did not feel loved whether that's you know true or not i can't tell you but i'm sure i'm sure i was loved but i didn't feel loved and to feel loved for the very first time i wanted nothing more than to serve him for that like and that's so. that's interesting yeah because we do have very different salvation stories so i i did not come from a ton of darkness not in the, not in the way that you did i right. i grew up in the church went to church every single week. Like I said, it, it felt like I was reading someone else's mail. But I was always what society would probably label as, as a good guy. You know, I, I I treated women with respect. I, you know, I You're did polite. what my parents, yeah, I did what my parents told me to do. I honored them and so on and so forth. But when I went away to college, I, you know, the very first year I went to the University of Iowa, for my first year of college and they wouldn't allow freshmen to have cars. So getting to church like that, that's all it took for me to not go to church mm -hmm. is go, Oh my goodness, I got to go take buses and get all the way over somewhere. I, I can't just drive that. That's too much work. Like that's, that's literally the straw house I had built that was <laughs> easily blown over. And, and yeah. so during college, I, I just sort of stopped going. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I was that way for, I don't know, maybe 10 years. But again, I was always a good guy by society's standards, right. uh, never really got into drugs or alcohol or any of that stuff, continued to honor my parents to the best of my ability. My mother might answer otherwise. She's probably talking to her uh, phone right now. 
as she hears me saying this, but it's interesting that you position that, that you came from darkness and so you trusted him. Yes. Where I came from a solid background and I didn't, and it's interesting. I never uh Well, what's the a, Bible verse where, you know, gosh, I hope I can remember it, but something, well, let's not just even take a verse. Let's take the parable of the person that owes a, a huge debt. It's like, wow, when you owe a huge debt and someone pays it for you, like how much more do you want to serve the Lord? And Yeah, Calvary, Calvary has a, a missionary down in Guatemala, uh, a man named Terrence that we both know mm-hmm. that has quite the past, uh, and, and God just radically changed him, and he met Incredible a wonderful, story. wonderful lady who was Guatemalan, or is Guatemalan, I should say, met her <laughs> in Florida, she had never been to Guatemala, I don't believe. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think she had ever been there. She meets Terrence, who's dying to be a missionary in Guatemala. They get married. He takes her down there for the very first time, and she felt like she was at home. And now He's a Terrence, pastor now. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> yeah. And this was a guy that had a, just a tremendous past, similar. Yeah, and you met Jesus in jail. Yeah, <laughs> and and so many times that happens. So that, that's yeah. pretty interesting, but uh all right, so we've kind of gone through your salvation testimony. We're going to be kind of winding down episode number two here, yeah. but let's set the stage for the rest of what we want to accomplish just talking through. We don't know how many shows season one is going to be just yet, but we want to touch yeah. We want to touch on a lot of like the healing process, the healing process that has to happen within you, the sanctification process that happens within you. forgiveness. We want to start walking people through all these different stages that you went through after you get saved. Yeah. So what does that look like? Well, well, I guess what we'll address through the season is um, I had some darkness and trauma that I had to, that I didn't realize was still holding me back to being the woman God had called me to be. What, can you get more specific on that? What what is this darkness and trauma away from your past? Is this something that happened during your marriage? Well, uh, childhood sexual abuse, a rape Oof. in my twenties, um, those kind of things really played a number on how I looked at myself and how I viewed the world and the level of anger I carried around that I didn't really understand that I was angry. Like I just. People are like, why are you so angry? I'm like, I'm not angry. This is how I am. So unearthing uh, the darkness with Jesus really allowed me to dig into his word and to start to, what does it mean to forgive? Like, wow, I, I get it intellectually. What does it mean to walk it out? Or what does it mean to be single and be celibate? Because you're calling me to that. Um, what does it mean to be a friend? What does it mean to be a daughter? A sister, like all of those things happened in the healing process. And what people sometimes don't understand about dark trauma is it really puts a blanket over how you view everything. And you're so used to being in protective mode and in survival mode, you don't even realize you you see the world through this angle. So I think the season really needs to be about, you know, what does it mean to have Jesus heal you? You know, Jesus asked the guy at the pool at Bethesda, do you want to be healed? And he asked me a similar question. 
And initially I was just like, uh, I don't want to do this. This is scary. But he walks, he walks me through that in the course of, you know, sanctification. Yea, though I walk through the valley mm-hmm. of the shadow of death. He doesn't walk around. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't pogo stick over the top of it. <laughs> he walks through the valley. And I think, you know, when, when you listen to a prosperity gospel, so many teachings out there, it resonates with a lot of people because it's about them. Right. Where when you say something like, come as you are, you've said that several times. Mm-hmm. It means you don't need anything. You can have empty pockets. You can have empty everything. And you are so valuable just as you are for right. Jesus. that He's going to sit there and embrace you with open arms and go, do you want to be healed? Yes. And, you know, that that's that's a process. And it's a difficult process. So many people say they want to be healed because that's the thing to say. <laughs> it's right. like going into a job interview and Saying, you I'm say, I'm a people person. I'm a people person <laughs> and I'm going to work really hard. Right. Those are the things you say because those are the things to say. Right. When people say that, when I'm interviewing people and they say that, it, it in one ear and out another. Mm-hmm. Okay, let, let's talk about, you say you work hard. What does that mean? Right. Talk to me about your skill set and, and, and all these challenges that you've overcome. And, and that's what happens with Jesus. He's going to sit there and go, okay, <laughs> let's talk. You mentioned sexual abuse. Let, let's right. Let's, Deb. Let, let's you and I sit down and talk about that. Let's 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 have a real conversation. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of, and I'm not blowing my own horn. Believe me, because it took me a long time to actually deal with the sexual abuse. But it takes a lot of courage to to do the hard thing, and and healing is hard, and it's difficult. It is not something that happens overnight, and um, it took me many years denying that I needed healing to finally get to the point that goes, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I need help. This step one in AA. Yes. Admit that you're an alcoholic, yes. and then the healing can begin. And, it, and it's what, what makes this, what we hope to be valuable in this, this podcast we're getting to a point in society where people can avoid pain. Mm. You go get a root canal now, yeah. they can completely numb you and you feel nothing. Just within the last 10 years, that technology has changed so drastically. I think people are getting used to not feeling the pain. Right. This isn't how healing works. No, I wish it was, but that everyone would wish it would be easy. Although everyone would be healed if that was the truth, you know, and that's not how it works. And, and what's so interesting to me about healing is it's voluntary exposure hmm. to pain a lot of times. You, you can't, it's not an intervention type of scenario where people sit you down 
and hijack it going, you're ruining our lives, so on and so forth. It is you voluntarily coming to Jesus going, Dad, this part of me is broken. Yes, because every other thing that you've done has led you to this brokenness. Like, I think when you come from darkness, you can go, well, none of that worked. I think because you have a, a very broad example of the way I've done life has not yielded f- the fruit it's supposed to yield. I, that's why you, I think that's why I was like at the point where I was like, okay, like enough is enough. It's because I had an example of trying every other thing and denying that I, I was hurt or denying that I was, I don't want to say damaged, that's not the correct word, but wounded, wounded. Um, because I had to put on a, um, a protective armor that said, no, I'm okay, I can handle anything, I'm fine. And that's a lot of what people who are surviving do, people who have PTSD, people who have uh, survived some very traumatic and dark things, the way they survive is to tuck it into one side of the brain and keep pulling forward with all of their might and going, I'm fine, I got this. And in reality, I knew I did not have it. It took me a while to figure out, wow, this isn't working. I'm a Christian and I'm still not where I need to be. Something's got to give. And I had, and we won't get into it obviously in this episode, but I had something that I absolutely did something I never thought I would do. I never expected to sin in this particular manner. And I did. And God used that like aha moment like you think you're you think you're okay you think you're healed you think you're walking with me take a look at what just happened deb and that was the moment that changed me going wow i claim to be a christian and i just did this i never thought i would do this and that was so devastating to me that i ran to jesus instead of running from him i was like Psh, i got to i got to go right towards you now because this is not who i want to be So why don't we save all of that? We're going to start unpacking all of these healings, all these different ways of healing, uh, all the rest of the story to get us up to where we're at now, a happy, healthy marriage, uh, both of us contributing. uh, But there's, there's a lot of information between where we're dropping off episode two and where we are today. So the rest of this season is going to be dedicated to that, the healing process, and just talking about those steps, what that might look like, because there's lots of people out there that have questions about this kind of thing. So thank you guys so much for joining us for episode number two. We will be back here again, uh, hopefully very soon, and we're going to start unpacking some of these things in your process, Miss Deb. It was wonderful to be here with you. You Thank too, you so Mr. much. Mike. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Husband Mike. Yes. Uh, all right, guys. We will see you next time. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to Detours. For more content, you can find us on Spirit FM Radio, Spotify. Apple Podcast, Google Play, or on our website at detours.life. To view my writings or to contact me for public speaking engagements, visit my website at debmarsalisi.com.